Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 80, Eight Ways to Engage Your Target Audience. leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Today, I return to the studio with my dad, Marty Leahy, who often joins me on Engaging Leader. Dad comes from a background with many years in Fortune 500 leadership and for the last 10 or 11 years has been leading his own company as a large restaurant and catering business. Dad, welcome back to Engaging Leader. Thanks, Jess. Glad to be here. Well, we're picking up where we left off in the last episode. We were talking about 26 ways to engage your target audience. We talked through the first eight and the overriding theme is that just having information that your audience needs or just having a certain position or title of authority as a leader, neither of those are really enough to fully engage your audience, that you need to attract their attention and keep them engaged throughout your presentation if you want to have the impact that you're looking to have or have the influence that you're looking to have. So the first one we're going to talk about today, number nine, is ask them to fill in a blank. There you go. You're catching on really quick, Dad. (laughs) Now, this you have to be careful with, but if you have, let's say you want to make three points or five points, and you might put those up as you present each point, you might put that up there and leave a blank. So they sort of either need to mentally fill that in if if it's an obvious answer, like it just was with ask them to fill in a blank. Or what I think is a little more interesting is they need you to tell they honestly need you to tell them what the answer is. So as you're making the point, they they need to listen, hear you out to know what the blank how how to fill in that blank and it needs to be something that they really want to know. But as as when you and I were just this morning talking earlier, if if you don't do this well, it can backfire because you've been to presentations where um oh no, this was a conversation I had with JJ so you're looking at me rather clueless, like, what, am I, what are you talking about, Jess? <laughs> but JJ was t- telling me about uh, a professor that he has that does everything, everything is fill in the blank. And as a student, I mean, that's just one tactic that you can use that can make something more interesting. But it gets old if you, if you overuse it. Yeah, that would be tiresome after a while. But, but I still, I think it's really important to, to have the back and forth. You know, you fill in the blank, then, you know, there's some feedback. Okay, that's right or that's wrong. Here's the right answer. Next one. But again, I, I think it's just one of those techniques that could be easily overused. Now, the other thing that you could do along with that is to actually give people a little handout with the, your five points or three points on there in the blanks. And they need to, and, and let them give them pencils or pens so they can write in the answer. Now, I never do that. I'm not the type of person that has the feels compulsion to fill in answers. But I know some people, including my wife, Erin, that that's a big addition to her. When you let her write something down, it totally lets her make it her own. And she'll also, by the way, go ahead and add all sorts of other notes. So suddenly this becomes, you just raise the value in her mind. that uh, This is a, a higher level of importance because I'm answering these questions and I'm adding my own notes. 
Yeah, and you know, and again, it it's uh, for a lot of people, it it helps to win that battle a little bit with everything else that's going on in their brain, other distractions or other thoughts. And when you have a piece of paper and you have a pencil and you're you're actually putting something down and creating a a word uh, like that, it it's it 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 focuses you a little bit more on the on the subject matter. Number ten is lead them in a game. Now, my guess is when you hear that, you your first instinct is to roll your eyes like, oh, if I'm going to listen to a speaker, I don't really want to play a game. Am I get am I right with you, Dad? Yeah, I'm not a game much of a gamer a lot of times, but but if, if but if you uh, if you throw down a a challenge that I think I have a chance of uh winning, I'm already into it. So it it's kind of how you present it, but I think if you just ask everybody, do you want to play a game? They're, the answer is going to be no because that sounds like a little bit of work, effort, and I might get I might be terrible at this game. <laughs> you know, I might lose. <laughs> so you need to I think you need to start out it's kind of like if you got a joke you don't want to say hey i got this joke i want to tell you it's really funny that's gonna that that just like right off the bat says oh boy this is not gonna be good similarly i don't think you say hey i got a game for us to play i think you just immediately start you you jump into it Uh, one of the games that i've participated in i think really made the point and that's what you're looking for is a game that really helps make the point in a memorable way. But you remember previously on this show, we've talked about the DISC, the four personality profiles. And I once saw Kent Julian, who was also a past uh, guest on this show. He led the group in this game that totally made the point about how these natural, uh, how we're just wired according to these four profiles these four different personalities so he didn't say hey well, let's play a game he said um le- he said i just want le- let's real quick just divide up this room you've i've led you through a quick assessment so you know if you're a d or an i or an s or a C. I want the d's over here and he just immediately broke us in the four corners and he had this game where we had to he gave us these blocks and he said i, I want to see who can build the highest tower with these blocks so basically you had the Build it and and you could and see who could build the highest tower without it falling over because these are children's wooden blocks that are naturally going to fall over. Mm-hmm. So it sounds kind of goofy, but most of us really got into it. Most of us, ex- except for the S's, because they don't really you know they don't really care that much about. <laughs> it just you could see the personalities going. But the I'll tell you what the D's we D's we cared and we made and, and every time and then i've since seen this game played elsewhere the d's always care and they almost always win too is that right that's interesting <laughs> but anyway it just made the point yeah and it made it memorable i i bet you 90% of the people there that day will remember that game and remember that event okay so number 11 is okay don't lead them in the game necessarily but use a game inspired tactic so which is my definition of the of gamification, which is you know is a is a big trend, but we're not necessarily creating a full blown game here, but we may be incorporating simple aspects of games. So, for example, we talked earlier about if you're using those little devices in, in a, or I, it was in in the previous episode, using an audience response system. If you're asking a quiz, well, that can also let you keep score. So keeping score alone, you're not really playing a game, but that's a game-like function, keeping score. Now you just 
create a certain level of interest that wasn't there before. Some people are going to enjoy that competition. If you show the leaderboard, for example, and you see that Bill's in first place so far, he's gotten eight correct responses. Susan's in second place, she's gotten seven correct responses, and so forth. One of the things I've seen that's, that's fun that has happened in, in uh, sessions where they'll say, hey, I've got I've got a gift certificate here to such and such and also um, a nice uh, other kind of a gift. And during the course of the presentation, every once in a while, I'm just going to throw a question out there about something I've already covered. And first person to answer the question wins that gift card. And it's just amazing how that just perks people up sometimes. Another game-inspired tactic that can work well is is the element of surprise. I have done a quick quiz. Who, who, who thinks, and just basically whoever raised their, their hand first and I called on them, and if they, if they had the right answer, I was quoting from a certain book. So, who, uh, And when they got the right answer, I gave them a brand new hard copy version of that book. It wasn't even like one of my books. It was a, a Jim Collins book. So it just, they weren't expecting that. And that's, a, that's a, like a video game. There's certain things that you know you're going to win, trying to win in a video game. There's other things that are just surprises. And that's what adds to the whole fun. Another game-inspired tactic that can work well in a presentation is, it, or I should say a, a it works really well in a meeting where you're doing some brainstorming and you've led this group to come up with a number of ideas. If you then let them vote for their, let's say, their favorite three ideas, and then you, they do like a silent ballot, and and or they go up and they they have you've given everybody some some adhesive dots, and they you give them all three dots, and they go up and they put whichever their three favorites and then you can just visually look at it and see which of these has the most dots well that adds a certain level of fun and that's a that kind of feedback that you can get in a in a video game for example okay the next one is summarize in a short sentence or slogan that's going to sound cheesy at first but it's a a lot of world-class speakers swear by this technique and I, the, the one that comes most to my mind is Andy Stanley, who is a um, pastor at North Point Community Church down in, uh, outside of Atlanta. And he is a, a well-known uh, leadership speaker, too. He has a great podcast called the Andy Stanley Leader, Leadership Podcast. And he almost always disciplines himself to reduce his message down to one sticky s- statement, one sentence, and he'll repeat that a few times throughout his speech. So here's an example of one of Annie Stanley's one-point messages. Cooperate, don't manipulate. It's, it's short, very short, very memorable, and he, he'll, he'll bring it up several times, and he may make three points in his message, but they each are leading to that one point. Another might be others first. So you just... Strip away everything else. What, do, what would you most like people to remember? And you reduce it to a single sentence. And if, you can, if there's any way to make it catchy or memorable, hey, that's even better if it's got a rhyme or alliteration or something like, like that in it. And again, it's going to sound cheesy, but it's effective. And just to prove it, think back to the O.J. Simpson trial. If the, go, if the glove doesn't quit, I'm sorry, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. I mean, people remember that. The jury remembered it. 
it just it just works. It's so short and simple, and then you you can build everything else around that. So, summarize in a short sentence or slogan. The next one is show a short video. Now, this I find most helpful when you've to to plan one or two short videos in the course of your talk as kind of a way to re-engage the type of audience member who is real tech technologically minded or very visually minded. The type that once you've been talking for five or eight minutes, they're start they're very tempted to pull out their smartphone and look at something on that because they're just that kind of a electronic type person. And and that it, you'd be surprised how many people that is. And so a short video helps to make sure that type of person stays engaged. Also, a short video, if you have humor in it or some kind of human element, it's going to ma- help make sure that you've got the emotional connection going on. I don't think there's any question that uh, a video really gets a lot of people's attention. I know it does mine. It's just a nice change of pace and, and just the action that's going on in it versus you standing there talking. One of the things that I do would caution on, though, sometimes uh, I've been lured into, uh, you know, click on this to see a video about that. And it's not really a video. It's more, it's another slide presentation that moves. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that, to me, doesn't qualify as a video. Right. Just because it's technically a video doesn't actually mean that it's engaging. I mean, it needs to stand on its own feet as as a meaningful way to engage your audience, but it does, it, it can shake things up. I've actually had good success even with videos of me. It's, it's crazy. I've, I'm there talking anyway, but the fact that I do a video of me in a, in a different setting or I, there's some editing done so that a good example, I had a, a topic that was kind of complicated in and of itself. And it would be very difficult or it would be very easy to ac- accidentally talk too long trying to explain this in person. And so I had this video of me at a whiteboard running through this concept very visually and very fast. And you'd have to practice it over and over again to get to do it so fast. But because I had it videoed, it worked. And and I w- and the audience loved it. They got the I had people coming up after and say, "Well, I love that part where you talked about blah blah blah." And to them, I didn't mean it wasn't that, oh, I love that cool video you showed. It was just, oh, I liked when you told us about such and such. So it, it, it kept their attention because it was a video. It brought them back in because it was an electronic video. But I was actually just using it to get through some material quickly, but in a meaningful, in a memorable way. Well, I think the the really important thing about a video is that it's, it's entertainment. In most people's mind, when, when you say video, when something comes on and it's, it's movie-like, we're talking entertainment. And, and that always is going to get people's attention. Number 13 is use repetition. We just talked about Andy Stanley. He shortened it down to a single sentence, and then he actually repeats that throughout the message. And you think that repetition can turn people off, but if you do it right, it's going to make it more memorable. The other thing is that the way to use repetition is to say something pause a little bit and then say it again. And what that tells your audience is pay attention. What I just, what I'm saying here is really important. Mm -hmm. Number 14 is surprise them. If you can do something unexpected, it always draws attention. And one of the easiest ways to do that, I think, is to share a a startling fact 
or set the audience to up to expect one thing but then surprise them with something else and a lot of times i do that in a humorous way because my humor tends to be the change up surprise kind but another way when i've talked about gamification i'll tell people you you tend to assume that most video game players are young boys and then i'll share the surprising statistics that the average age of a video game player is actually 35 and 47 percent are women so that that just right from the start of the presentation gets people thinking a little bit differently about a topic that they thought they knew about it so it's it surprises them number 15 is use humor which we've talked a little bit about that and you i sure you probably want to tell a joke right dad uh, if I could think of one, I would, I would <laughs> definitely rip one off right now. But I, I, I just think humor is the best, whether it be a, you know, a, um, a sermon or a homily at church, or almost any kind of setting. When, when you have some really fresh humor, a, either a quick joke or a, or a, you know, an ironic, witty comment that that causes people to chuckle. You know, it gets some chemical things going in people, you know, a little bit of endorphin and, and, and it just, it relaxes people if they can chuckle, chuckle, laugh. If you, if you can get a belly laugh out of them, that's even better. But uh, it's hard to underestimate the value of humor. You just have to be careful with canned jokes, though. And you and I probably have both been the presentation where, especially at the beginning, the speaker starts out with a joke that's canned and he may you may get some polite chuckles. But unless you are have a, a reputation for a very funny person, it's best just to stay away from those and just look for humor that feels natural. The types of things that you would normally talk about and that actually cause people to chuckle, that's where your best is, is your best territory. Number 17 is pause. And I just talked about how you, one, you can, when you're repeating, if you want to repeat a sentence twice, you, you pause before repeating it. And that, that's what makes that repetition so effective. It's the pause that's so important. When you, when you pause, that silence makes your audience, wait, what, look back yeah, at did you. I, what, what happened? Did, yeah. something, did I miss something? <laughs> did, they, did they ask me a question? <laughs> and as speakers and leaders, a lot of times our natural inclination toward action makes us fearful of pauses. We're afraid to pause. But pausing lets the audience not only know that something is about to be important, but it also helps their mind catch up with you. So Stacy Honke, I think, is a, is a communication expert that makes a great point about how a lot of times we fill in pauses with non-words like um and uh because we're struggling for our mind to get caught up with the next thing we're going to say. And so we feel like we need to say anything there. But actually just let that pause hang and let your mind catch up because your audience also needs to get let their mind catch up. And then you don't have all those non-words filling up the, the dead space, which isn't really dead. It's a very live space, very impactful. So use pauses. The next one I, also comes, especially from Stacey Honke, she does a great job of making this point about eye contact, how important eye contact is as a speaker or as a leader. And she tells the story of being at a conference, noticing early on that there was somebody who was not paying attention, and she just 
on a whim thought, my number one goal in this presentation is I'm going to get this person engaged. They, they were so distracted by their laptop. And she did it all with eye contact. She didn't like just focus on that person. She was the, the whole rest of the audience that felt natural to them. But she made sure that she made enough eye contact with that person that he felt like she was talking to him. And pretty soon closed his laptop and just got very much into the presentation. And that's the power that eye contact makes. Somebody who obviously had gone, she talked to him later and found out he had come to this as like just an escape from the office and was basically had bent and determined to just get some certain bit of work done. And instead, he ended up getting a wealth of value out of the conference itself because she had taken that step to engage him. The next one is listen. And I love the quote from Ernest Hemingway, when people talk, listen completely. Most people never listen. That's, uh, that, that is so profound, and it's so difficult to do in our everyday life. You know, how many times um, everybody, they're having a conversation, they're just waiting for the other person to quit talking so they can talk. You know, and, and uh, so it's two people probably not making a lot of eye contact, and even if they are, they're not really absorbing what the other person is saying. How do you listen if you're speaking to an audience or to a, a room, room full of your team members? Well, again, I, it, it goes back to that silencing. You, you, you've got to give people a chance to, to catch up and, and not have to work so hard to ask a question or to have a response. When, when you're constantly filling up the gaps with noise, ums, and everything else, it just, you basically send the signal you don't want any feedback. And feedback is, is, is phenomenal when you're trying to teach. And if you're addressing an audience, obviously listening is so important one-on-one, but addressing an audience, a lot of times that, quote, listening happens through the eyes, I think. You're not really listening with your ears, maybe, but to that previous point, if you're making eye talk contact, you're much more able to find out, am I connecting with the audience? Are they agreeing with me here? Or are they actually disagreeing? Do I need to go off in a different direction? Oh, maybe I just uncovered something that is powerful here. Now, let me ask, I see that person's eyes went up and she's talking excitedly to the person next to her. Maybe I should go ahead and bring her into the conversation. There's something, a local connection I can make with this, with this audience. Yeah, if, if you have enough presence in, in listening with your eyes uh, capability to, to read expressions and, and see if somebody has either been surprised by what you said or turned off by what you said, that's a form of listening. I mean, basically you could follow up with them. You know, I see you have a puzzled look on your face. Does this make sense to you? But um, obviously if you're going to be a listener and someone does say something to you either with their expressions or with their words, you you have to actually hear what they're saying and and validate it. You know, you you might be the expert, but you know, I think you have to open up the possibility that they're going to uh you might learn something from them. I'm sorry, were you just saying something there? I wasn't wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> Number 20. By the way, you know, how many did you see how many of these points are there all together? <laughs> there, there's there's 26, but if you don't quit talking, we're never going to get through them. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> number 20, use a numbered list or a countdown. This is our, our numbered right, list, you know, 20. Six. Remind me, we only have six more sli- of these uh, ideas to go, so it, it, it's going to end sooner or later. Well, it works for David Letterman, so channel your inner David Letterman and countdown. 
a lot of times that works. We're counting up like we're doing to 26. It sounds like a silly little thing, but it, it can help the audience. Number one, just follow along a bit. And number two, know how far, how much farther they, they have to go. Yeah. But it just builds, it builds expectations. Yeah. Stay with me for another minute or two here. I'll, I'll wrap this up. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a lifeline to a lot of people. Number 21 is use an acrostic which is a fancy word of way to say use an acronym or something. So if you got if you have four points, if you can think of a way for them to spell something like R E A L. This is the real principle. It seems silly, but it's just the way our brains work. And if people can think of the real principle or the 6 D, 6 Ds of effective gamification, it makes it more interesting as you're going and it, it helps them to remember it. It also makes it less likely that you're going to need to refer to your own notes because you're going to remember it easier. And your presentation almost always is more effective if you can do it talking to your audience instead of reading from notes. Helps if you're a good speller. <laughs> Number 22, share someone's testimony. You can either, that could be your own uh, as an individual story, but if you share someone else's testimony by telling their story or inviting them to share it, either in person or by videotaping them ahead of time, you're tapping into the power of a special kind of story. You think about like giving to help hunger in Africa or South America. People don't really, the studies will show people don't really donate much money to fight world hunger. But they'll donate money to sponsor Carmen from Bolivia. That when they see this picture of this girl, they'll care about her and her story and they'll give $35 a month or $45 a month to feed Carmen. But to to just feed this problem of world hunger seems too big and impersonalized and so they don't do it. Well, we, well, we certainly know that people like reality shows and a, and a testimonial is, is a little little reality show. Imagine how powerful it would be if you're if you can get a testimonial from the group that you're actually presenting to, somebody that has a real life experience that they, they could share. Makes a world of difference, and you you can take a video of somebody and keep it, if you keep it short, two or three minutes, five minutes most. You you don't it doesn't have to be a super professional video, but something that lets them speak from the heart. And you may do a little bit of editing, you may not need to, but it, it lets people connect emotionally to a real person and it brings it all to life. Number 24, I believe, is use a metaphor or symbol. So the one of the classic examples, when Apple came out with the iPod, they weren't the first MP3 player on the market. I had already seen MP3 players you know, it didn't really do that much for me. But Steve Jobs saying, you know what this is? This is a thousand songs in your pocket. He created a, it's, is it literally, uh, this is not a thousand songs in your pocket. This is a device that is going to put a new type of music, a new type of file on there. And you no, it's, it's a thousand songs in your pocket. He just created a metaphor, which is basically just a mental shortcut. If you can make a mental shortcut, especially something that is concrete, pocket. Uh, Take something, instead of it being abstract, make it concrete, people are going to pay attention and they're going to remember it. Okay, that was actually number 23. Number 24 is provide an example. 
So let's say metaphor or symbol is too highfalutin Shakespeare-like for you. You don't actually have to come up with something that artistic, which can be more difficult. But just having any real-life example is going to give something people to mentally hang on to, grab on to, to, to get with you, stick with you. But it also can help so much in just taking abstract things and making them concrete. I remember helping a an executive at a large automotive company. He and he always spoke in broad philosophical principles like harnessing efficiency. Like what the heck does harnessing efficiency mean? So, we coached him to he can use you know, if that's his natural way to think, okay, go ahead and use that, but then make sure you follow it up right away with a, a concrete example like Okay, an example of harnessing efficiency is changing how we do sales quotes for our customers so that we can respond to them faster and more consistently. And then you can tell a little story about that that makes it even more, Mm -hmm. brings it even more to life. Yeah, no question. Examples, you know, bringing it down to someone's plane of understanding. If you can use, you know, uh, words that, that are meaningful to the audience that you're talking to, imagine giving an example to people uh, uh, from a factory floor, you know, what you would, the kind of language you would have to use versus, you know, a group of college students. Number 25 is challenge them with a puzzle. This takes a little bit of extra thinking, but if you can pose some kind of visual or mental puzzle and then allow them several seconds, just go ahead and provide some silence. See if your audience can solve it. The, the one that example of that that really sticks out to me, I remember it all these years l- later, was Stephen Covey from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He used this approach to illustrate uh, a, a, a paradigm switch or a gestalt switch. And he showed this, uh, this picture of an old woman. And he said, how many see the old woman here? And you know, everybody raised their hand. They could see the old woman. Okay, do any of you see a young woman in this picture? And nobody... At first, he said, no, really, there's a young woman. Keep looking at it. And eventually, people start getting it. And it's, wow, the same picture. I'm seeing two different images. And while you're focusing on one, you cannot see the other. So he's he used that to illustrate the concept of a paradigm shift, which even before you get in any of his seven habits, you had to understand this concept of a paradigm. So if you he didn't invent either of those illustrations. They were, were already out there. But if you can have some kind of a puzzle for your audience to figure out. Here I am probably 20 years after I saw that. I still remember that, and I still I will always remember what a paradigm shift is. And then number 26, last one. Wow, number 26. We let's made it. Let's hear it. You know, let's hear it from the audience. <laughs> Drum roll, please. <laughs> Time for coffee break. Be human. Be human. Always look for ways to reveal that you are a real, authentic person. A lot of times, especially if you you can, you might use some of these 26 ways to make a really slick, polished presentation, and you might actually overdo it to get so professional and good at something, and then people think, well, I could never, that's, that's okay for him, he's, he's a genius, you know, or whatever they're going to think. But if you can reveal that you're, flesh and blood, or even reveal some of your quirks, or that you have a life outside of work, it, it, it makes what you say now have a whole level, new level of meaning. Well, being human means being who you are. 
and being honestly who you are. And, and if you're in a position where you're talking about something that you are passionate about, hopefully you are passionate about, let that show, you know, let that come out. And that, that's worth a million bucks to when, when people really understand that you believe in what you're saying, you, you live it, you're excited about it. Uh, you're not just up there flipping off facts, you know, be who you are and be honest about it. And I think that's, that's going to work really well. One, one of the ways that I think works in today's world, as far as being human is if you do use social media, if you, in addition to however, what value you're going to add to your audience through social media, if you can let some of your personality come through there. When I discover a new author, one, that's one of the things I'll go check out. Let's say I'll find out, are they on Twitter, number one? Are they responsive or are they, are they just simply putting out uh, advertisements for themselves, for example? But really, is, is this a real person or do they just hire somebody from you know Pakistan to to put out their Twitter feed. But when I discover that there's an author, I've read one of his or her books and, and liked it, and then I discover that they are accessible out in the real world on social media. It's really them. They're sharing some tidbits from their life here or there. They have some level of interaction with audience members. I think, well, that's a real person. And that suddenly makes that person much more meaningful to me, like almost like a friend. Oh, I can, I'll make them part of my life journey because in a way they're making me part of their life's, life's journey. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. We've been talking about 26 ways to engage your target audience. The thing I, it's not so much that you would need to use all of these or any necessarily even any of these specific examples. The main message I want folks to remember is don't just tell people, actually engage them and keep re-engaging them until you've achieved your targeted targeted outcome. If you're talking to, speaking to an audience, presenting to an audience, don't just assume that the information that you have to share is enough to hold their attention the whole time. If you are interacting with your employees, if you're speaking to a team or you're speaking one-on-one, don't assume that your position as their leader is enough. Don't assume that because they're being paid to work this job that this is that important to them. I mean, they've got lots of other things on their minds, lots of priorities. You need to earn their attention. You need to work or maybe be creative to engage them and then keep re-engaging their focus. That's a big role of being a leader today. That's being an engager is actually capturing people's focus, uh, sparking their interest and and keeping them focused on the outcome that you guys are, are working on together. Well, that wraps up this episode. Uh, we talked about 26 ways to engage your target audience. If you want to go back and listen to episode 72, you'll hear the first eight that we talked about. Also, let me encourage you to interact with me and other listeners on our website at engagingleader.com. Uh, also, you can interact with me on Twitter, where I'm at Jesse Leahy, or on Facebook. You can find our Facebook if you just search Facebook for Engaging Leader. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. 
Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about. 